this entire book and this entire 40 day shadow work process and modality is to address the beliefs, is to revisit the beliefs, is to dissect why do we believe certain things? Why do we uphold certain idiosyncrasies? Why do we uphold certain beliefs that are maybe no longer serving us in the present? And that requires visiting our lives. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. In this week's episode, we will be talking about in particular my most recent 40-day journey in completing one of the shadow work modalities that was facilitated by Mastin Kip in his book, Claim Your Power. And of course, the number 40 days has a lot of spiritual connotations in different religious contexts, and most notably in the Christian context of the Bible. But it is a rigorous process of attending to some of our childhood wounds and revisiting some of our traumas and stories and almost addressing our emotions and beliefs on a fundamental level, according to his workshop. And we wanted to dedicate this episode to talk about some of our takeaways, talk about some of the high level concepts that were provided and presented in the book, Claim Your Power by Mastin Kip. And of course, before this episode, in our last two-part episode and last two-part conversations with licensed clinical counselor, golf coach, yoga teacher, and nature enthusiast, Andrea Rumler, we did briefly talk about what shadow work is and why it's important for all of us to do some sort of inner work or shadow work when we're ready for the process. For those reasons, we wanted to dedicate this episode to just share uh, what we learned and some of our journey throughout for the last 40 days process. Before we dive into the actual content of this episode, we'd highly encourage anyone to pick up a copy. It's, you know, 10 to $12 on Amazon, arrives in a couple of days, and really one of the most pivotal decisions that you can make in your life, just embarking on this journey. It's certainly not an easy one, but one that is certainly worthwhile. And I think you guys will be able to observe that from the conversations and lessons that we're about to talk through. He introduces the idea of a transformation ladder from basically page one, chapter one. And the idea here is almost a pyramid. So imagine like a pyramid looking triangle with the largest base going all the way up to the top. And he lays out five layers of transformation that all stem for what he calls the OI or the original incident. And that is the base level that then he argues the rest of our beliefs, emotions, stories, and behaviors all derive from. So I'll turn the mic back to Ben and a few to talk us through each of these specific levels. But I think it's really important just to think through these for a bit of time, because in my experience, I've always looked at the top level being behavior as the first and foremost thing that we're trying to change. So, hey, I want to wake up earlier, or I want to lose 20 pounds, or I want to start going to the gym. But really, behavior is often the symptom and the thing that 
society often looks at most. And he argues that instead of focusing on behavior and trying to shift behavior, we should flip the script and then start with the original incident, start with the original traumas and experiences that caused the beliefs, emotions, stories, and behaviors to take place. Yeah, for sure. So I think the Mastin Kipps idea and his hierarchy of the anatomy of transformation ladder is so impactful for us because it's more of approaching our behaviors and the issues and the challenges we're dealing with in our day-to-day life from a root cause point of view. So rather than addressing symptoms and viewing symptoms as disease, he actually tries to get to what the actual disease are or the actual OIs, the original incidents, or some people may call it early traumas or whatever, the earliest memories of traumas. The five levels are level one, OI, original incident, level two, which is beliefs that are created based on these original incidents. Level three is emotion, which is the hardest layer to crack because emotions are visceral. Level four is story. These are the stories, these are the thoughts, these are our mental level of what the stories we tell ourselves, the self-perceived ideas. And those stories and ideas will create level five behaviors, which is the symptoms we're trying to address. And the few things I wanna talk about is, of course, this anatomy is very high level and a lot of trauma therapy in the clinical therapy space and containers view each trauma as lens like this on a different layers of processes. So we're not qualified and we don't want to dedicate this episode on what trauma therapy is or how to rewire trauma per se, but just talk about the fact that in order to change your behaviors, we must address the stories that are telling ourselves or the stories that were implanted by others, by the society, by the governments. But in order to change the stories, we must change our emotions. Once again, emotions are visceral. Emotions creates physical actions, creates behaviors, creates all these mental thoughts that we tell ourselves. And I think for me, um, emotions, the level of emotions matters a lot because I always thought that there is almost like a missing gap, whatever I feel into whatever I do. It's like the saying of don't let your mood become your attitude, right? Just because you're feeling grumpy when you read a text from your friends, from your spouse, or when you're conversing with a customer service representative, most often than not, I think because we tend to be grumpy or whatever emotions we're feeling at that specific timeline and specific moment, our conversations, our actions tend to be focused on our emotions, um, which is the reason why we need to address how we feel first. This entire book and this entire 40-day shadow work process and modality is to address the beliefs, is to revisit the beliefs is to dissect why do we believe certain things? Why do we uphold certain idiosyncrasies? Why do we uphold certain beliefs that are maybe no longer serving us in the present? And that requires visiting OIs. And I think this brings up to what Tony Robbins used to say is humans tend to gravitate more towards running away from their pains than running towards their pleasures. So that means by addressing our pain, we must address, because pain's an emotion right? Pain's a feeling, it's visceral. So to address the pain of our emotions, we must visit what we believe. And to do that, I think we have to go deep, which is where shadow work and inner work shines through. Yeah, 1000% Ben. I think there's a really common saying of if you want to change your life, change your beliefs or change your beliefs to change your life. It's just a very simple and accessible way to remember this fact. But 
I really relate to it in my fitness journey. Uh, growing up super overweight, I was just believed to myself to be unhealthy and overweight, but it was only when I was able to flip that underlying belief into believing I was fit, believing I was healthy, where the emotions, stories, and behaviors of actually getting into shape were able to transform. So really would just like to highlight that idea for the people. It's that it's ultimately the beliefs or the meanings that we're creating from past events that are driving the rest of the transformation ladder upwards. So in the case of the example that I gave, the limiting belief of being fat or being overweight was ultimately a protection mechanism of that was associated with my identity to protect me from the bullying or from, you know, childhood teasing, whatever the case may be. The limiting belief was initially serving me or protecting me at that time. And then with, as time progresses, eventually those limiting beliefs can become outdated, which is ultimately the idea that hip conveys within the book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to go a step further in terms of Aiden's example is that for him, because he used to be bullied and teased with his identity of being overweight, being fat, whatever, all the labeling you want to attach to that, it was not limiting at the time because by internalizing and by telling himself that, oh, being fat or being overweight is who I am, it's easier for you to rationalize the fact that, oh, it's just who I am. I've always been this way. I've always been overweight. There's nothing I could do about it. So it's up to the people to either accept me for who I am or for reject me for who I am not. Um, so just to hammer down and echo Mastin Kip's ideas, contrary to a lot of the ethos and a lot of the messages in coaching and therapy spaces that uh, limiting beliefs are horrible, they're bad for you. Like, yes, at this current timeline, they may be deserving us. But once upon a time throughout our lives, it was just part of how our coping mechanisms and surviving patterns were manifested through to protect us from embarrassment, from fear, from prosecution, from ridicule, whatever they may be. It's the same way for me, right? Is that like for me, my limiting belief was that I have commitment issues. That's one of my biggest thing I had to work through is, oh, it's just who I am. It's not that I'm a bad person. I just have commitment issues. Oh, why do I have commitment issues? Oh, because my parents went through a nasty divorce. I've never seen what true love is in my lifetime growing up. I never saw anyone with a successful marriage in my most intimate circles. So I thought it was just a norm. I thought it's normal to break away. I thought it's normal to not commit. And whenever I did commit in my past, I always got hurt. So my limiting belief at the time is a coping and surviving mechanism to protect me from being harmed, for being heartbroken, from feeling the heartache, from the pain. But now it has became a huge disservice because of my limiting belief that was once shielding away from harm is now shielding away from the joy of love, the joy of intimate connections, the joy of these fruitful relationships that's only possible if I let myself open up to what is to come. So in my example or Aiden's example, our limiting beliefs weren't always bad. There is no such thing as always good or bad. It just served us in a particular moment in time, but flash down 20 or 10 years down the road into our adulthood, they have become a huge disservice, which is why now they're limiting. So we need to upgrade what's been outdated. Just like we upgrade our operating systems on MacBooks or PC, our phone cases is no longer protecting our phones. You get a new phone case. But once again, in order to upgrade our limiting beliefs that once served us, we need to address the anatomy of transformation ladder, which is original incidents, beliefs, 
emotions, and then the stories, and those stories then therefore create behaviors. And with that being said, I think it's the perfect transition into the next section we want to discuss, which is listing the five debt areas in your life. Before we move on, I just want to echo what Mason Kip discussed in the book. He argues that the word and the linguistic choices of the word debt is very extreme and dramatic. Of course, none of us are dying in that extreme sense, but he thinks the choices of a language matters because this is a 40-day rigorous process. So it's about being dramatic. It's about drastically changing your life, your outcome, your behaviors based on your emotions, your beliefs, and original incidents. So he's being very intentional with the word choice "dead." Is because he argues that unless we address these issues that are dead, we are going to become spiritually dead, which will ultimately affect our realities and our behaviors. So the five dead areas in my life that I listed is financial insecurity. One of the two primary reasons why I wanted to embark on this shadow work journey. My second dead area in my life is my insecurity dealing with credentials of a background. I went to a decent undergraduate school, which is Penn State University. Of course, I went to UPenn to pursue my further degrees and doing my masters. But oftentimes, whenever I interview guests or hang out with a lot of high-caliber people, I tend to shy away from my undergraduate degree and only focus on my UPenn backgrounds. And because I feel insecure about my undergraduate credentials, especially dealing with a lot of academia people or a lot of、uh, intellectuals with high credentials. So that's the second thing I wanted to address that are currently dead. The third thing is thinking too highly of myself.、Uh, the fourth dead area was finding the need to always prove myself. Once again, that touches upon my second insecurity of credentials and prestiges. Is that whenever I feel like I'm hanging out with people that's very high caliber, I find the need to always showcase or to prove myself that I deserve to be in this space to hang out with whoever. My number five and my fifth dead area is overcompensating in some areas, which again touches upon number four and my number two. And my five dead areas are connected, and I think a lot of people's five dead areas may be connected because once again, goes back to the hierarchy of five levels. Every single beliefs and emotions and stories that we have are ultimately come back to the level one of original incidents or early trauma. Yeah, definitely, Ben. I think they are all. Interconnected, or often are my own, certainly were as well. And I want to introduce a quote that Mastin Kip writes in this section of the book that really spoke to me, and I guess shined a light on the importance of asking these questions or acknowledging the dead areas. And he writes really simply: We continue to hurt ourselves until we heal ourselves. That really made me stop and think of that. You know, there almost isn't an option. It's like a binary: one or the other, hurt or heal. And that the healing process is almost a prerequisite to, I guess, stop hurting ourselves. So in my case, there was a lot of instances of like self sabotage or shying away from really important opportunities. And I think seeing that symptom as a result of the underlying incidents was really that awareness that allowed me to shift and make that change. I think a big topic that we've talked about a lot on the podcast was. Awareness is the first step to change, and really listing the five dead areas of life is really an exercise in displaying that idea. That by first becoming aware of the dead areas where there's insecurities, where we have opportunity to improve, is ultimately the next step to shifting into change and transformation. 
And as you mentioned earlier, uh, the Tony Robbins idea that we are more motivated to get away from pain than to seek towards pleasure. The idea of like, you don't know what you don't know really comes up for me in that we can recognize where we're dead, but we really don't recognize what is possible on the other side of that dead zone. So for context, personal example, back to struggling with weight and health as a young child, I didn't know what being healthy or athletic or fit felt like. I just knew that I didn't want to be overweight and unhealthy, right? So it's getting away from that fear or that dead zone of not taking care of myself towards being able to discover what the call it a live zone is, right? So by listing the five dead areas, you recognize what areas of your life you wanna move away towards. And then in that moving away process, you can kind of discover what is possible on the other side. And I do think that once again, it's I think the lesson here that Madison Kip is trying to instill and the takeaways that Aiden and I both had through this 40 day journey is very universal across a lot of different industries. And the most notable example that surfaces is double A meetings, right? And in the first step of their 12 step program is to address a problem. You first acknowledge that there is a problem. It also brings me up Albert Einstein's quote is that if he had an hour to solve a problem and his life was at stake, he would spend 55 minutes to identify and think about the problem. And he would dedicate the last remaining five minutes to actually solving the problem. So to us and to our Massing Kip's intention is without very dramatically addressing the five areas that are dead in our life, spiritual or physical lives. You can't address those five dead areas without first listing what areas are dead. And it's almost that forceful confrontation with what really makes us deeply uncomfortable is whether it's insecurities or whether it's your trauma or whether it's that one thing that you deeply know and you know that you must address it, but you haven't done so for whatever reasons. And hopefully by listing them out first before approaching any issues that you want to solve on, acknowledgement and awareness are the first step. And the second step, once we have that awareness and once we do acknowledge that there are areas that are dead that we want to improve upon, uh, Madison urges us to ask these following questions to solidify the awareness. Once again, Einstein didn't dedicate 60 minutes on thinking about the problem. He spent 55, but he did ultimately dedicate some time to solving the problem. So I think this is the actual action part. So first, ask the question of what's the worst thing that would happen if I do not change now, whatever the areas that you listed. The number two question to ask is then ask yourself, what's the worst thing that will happen if I decide to change now? The first question is, what if I don't change? The second question is, what if I do change? Last and final question that Kip asked us to ask is, of the above two questions, which outcome is worse? Once again, you need to be aware of the dead areas and once you're aware of it, these three questions, I think, is a very powerful and very dramatic way to uncover the curtains that you've been trying to cover whatever areas you've wanted to throughout your life. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those questions. I think for me, the journaling portion of this workbook was one of the most advantageous. And like you mentioned, it's kind of pulling curtains back, both in the case we just talked through the dead areas, that's kind of the dark side. 
but then he subsequently helps us pull back the curtains on the light side of what actually motivates us, what actually fills us up and provides some really interesting and beneficial questions and toolboxes to, I guess, uncover those motivators. And within the book, first quote that really spoke to me that we would encourage you guys to all think about is, unless you're in mortal danger, fear is a compass showing you where to go. So for me, the idea of seeking discomfort really came to mind. That's something that Benoit and I have really tried to live out on this show, whether it's our 10 mile hike or cold plunge, but really just seeking those discomfort because the more that we follow fear, the more that we expand our boxes of what's comfortable, what's possible, the easier things become on the other side. So I would really encourage people to think about this quote and see where they're experiencing fear, what things are scary to them at the present moment, and then using that as a compass and seeing where you end up. Yeah, well said, Aiden. The second quote that I wanted to share that really made an impact throughout my journey of this 40-day shadow work is, in fact, when you can have faith amid massive uncertainty, you have reached mastery. I think this quote took me a while to unpack and actually had to reread this quotes quite a few times when I did the work and I think it's because that's where faith shines and it reminds me of another saying that my mom always told me growing up is when it is the hardest to pray pray the hardest because I think it's the idea that when it's easy for us to pray when everything's going well that's when we have faith in God or in the cosmos whatever you believe in and that's when we want to pray when it feels good to pray but I think this quote talks just about where like tap into fear because fear tends to be a compass unless you're in mortal danger. Likewise, have faith when is the hardest time to have faith. And I think once we are able to cultivate that ability to have confidence beyond the unknown, to have confidence in us, but also in this higher entity, higher being, and continue to have faith to do so when the conditions and when the environments are stacked against us. I think that's a mastery display of our faith and i'm definitely not there yet because i'm still in the process of surrendering more not to give up but to give in as kip always talks about but that quote definitely resonated a lot with me definitely yeah thanks for sharing ben i think it's quite an important quote and an important paradox between that balance of faith and uncertainty that you just pointed out i think another paradox from the book that he describes really really well is the relationship between strengths and weaknesses He writes quite simply, the area of your greatest frustration in life is the doorway to living your purpose. And that reminded me of the idea that our greatest strengths are often our biggest weaknesses. That is a idea that I've heard passed around a lot just growing up, but really have been thinking about it in my own life, specifically how I relate to openness. For context, openness was kind of one of my biggest frustrations going into doing a lot of this work of being so open and so curious about so many different subjects, it was really hard to find commitment within one vocation, one job, one partner, whatever it may be, that openness was really a weakness for me, but kind of shifting it and seeing it also as a potential strength. My openness allows me to lead with curiosity and meet new people, connect people of different experiences, all of those things. So. I really would just encourage people thinking about, you know, things that they might be getting down on themselves about or what they see as their weakness and potentially thinking through how those things could also be strengths at the same time, right? There's often the light and the dark, two sides of the same coin. And I think 
this idea of the greatest frustration as a doorway to living your purpose has been really powerful for myself. And I'd really love to share that sentiment with anyone listening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it reaffirms the fact of why doing work is so important. Because to me, I was almost the opposite side of that spectrum, where to me, my greatest strength was my confidence, uh, whether it's in my work, in my promotions, or in dealing with different policymakers on a governmental level in my previous job. But at the same time, my confidence was also my biggest weakness. Because of my confidence, I tend to be more overconfident or tend to carry this too blunt, at times abrasive energies and the way I speak, the way I talk to different people. And that's why I had to do my work to balance out the difference. But like what Aiden said, our strength can be perceived as weakness, but at the same time, our weakness can also be perceived as strength. And that's the reason why doing work is important because everyone has different compass, everyone has different metrics, everyone has different circumstances dictate how we, how we show up. The quote that I wanted to share, I think is this is a little longer quote and you might have to unpack it longer. But once again, with this last section of this episode, we strongly encourage the listeners and whoever's listening to take a moment and pause this recording and just ponder upon each quote. Because every single one of these quotes is extremely simple, but it's one of those complex wisdom being simplified into a very memorable quote, but it's very, very powerful. And I think it would provide the maximum dividends if you take some time unpacking these. So the quote I wanted to share is, we were made in our creator's image, which means that when we begin to pay attention to our hopes, dreams, and most important, emotions, we begin to understand both our creator's will for our lives and our purpose, which are ultimately one and the same. This quote struck me differently than any other quotes, aside from my faith as a Christian, but also because of the fact that I think in our current postmodern healing, spiritual, and coaching therapy space, the idea that's been circling around the internet and around the world is the idea of we are the divine. It's the idea that God is within us and we are God. And both Massey and Kip and I share a similar belief that divinity is truly within us, right? If you truly think about the capacity that humans have, it's pretty amazing how meticulously designed we are and how amazing we're capable of. But at the same time, he urges us similar to what Ryan Holiday and stillness is the key that let's not get into this idea that we are the gods, like we're not. Massey and Kip argues is that it's almost like we are a drop of the ocean. We're not the entirety of the ocean, but we are dropped within the ocean. Therefore, that's what we can tap into the divinity within us. And we are so much more capable than what we think we are. And I think for those reasons, I really think this quote has a lot of impact beyond just these simple three sentences. But I think once we are able to come to peace with the fact that we are a drop in the ocean, we are a part of the divine, I think we'll be amazed by what we're truly capable of, which is the ethos of claimer power. Definitely. Yeah, that quote really resonated with me a lot, too, because as you pointed out, it kind of creates an empowerment around spirituality, but also a humility around that same empowerment. So really kind of approaching that, you know, God ethos with both the humility and the empowerment really made it strike a chord for me as well. That idea really brings me to the last quote that I'd like to share that for me really 
I guess, tossed aside a lot of the questions and even stigma that I had around spirituality, right? Thinking about spiritual journeys and kind of just anything that goes into the spiritual bucket, it's really hard to articulate, right? We're all looking on social media and seeing there's no qualifiers of what makes someone spiritual. It's how much do you meditate or how many psychedelics have you done or how much yoga do you practice? There's almost no like qualifying ideas around like what constitutes spirituality. And this quote that he shares really just redefined and transformed the way that I relate to spirituality. And this is how he defines it. He says, spirituality is in fact, the measure of how loving you are. And it's so, so simple, but so, so to the point. And really for me dispelled all of those ideas or constructs that are put up from social media or common discussion around what spirituality has to look like, but rather just qualifies it as spirituality is how lovingly you show up and has really inspired me to kind of push aside some of the practices or the stigma around those concepts and really just focusing on showing up in a more loving manner and really embodying those spiritual concepts that he discusses throughout the book. Yeah, and I think that's one of the many reasons why I love this book. And I think this book separates itself from the crowds of so many other self-help books or quote-unquote healing books. Madison Kip just has exceptional ability to boil down hyper-complex ideas into simple, like, layman terms for everyone. And I think I love that definition of spirituality. I used to view spirituality as the pursuit of oneself. But I think the ultimate manifestation of how we pursue ourselves is do we have the ability to love ourselves? And if we do have the ability to love ourselves, then we should be able to love others. But I think viewing how one's behaviors, like how they act, right? Once again, behaviors is a level five that's derived from all the stories, the emotions and the beliefs and the OIs. But the fact that a person is loving on the level five behavior level, I think it dictates and it talks about the fact that how much work they've done on the levels beneath that. So I think how loving you are is the ultimate qualifier of your journey with your spirituality. And the last quote that I would like to use to conclude this episode and also on to touch upon my quote again about us being created in creator's image is this quote. We are both divinely special and almost nothing. Both these things are true. Embodying the balance between these two truths, create a healthy relationship with my ego and allow my heart and soul to lead. At first glance, this quote seems contradictory and it's a dichotomy, but it's not. Once again, it's tapping into the acknowledgement and the truth that we are both divine, but also limited because we are not the ocean, but merely a droplet in the ocean. And I do think that according to Mastin Kip and our own personal journey from doing this 40-day journey, I truly believe that although only the f- a few sections we displayed through this episode is merely a glimpse into this 40-day process, but whether you choose to subscribe to this book or doing any other array of shadow work modalities that are free and available online, I do think that the best way to change our behaviors, the best way to change our realities is by going backwards and to revisit where we came from, who we are. Because how can we define who we are without knowing where we came from first? Yeah, 
So well said, and such an important ethos of this entire book and episode that we've just laid out, really going back in time, unpacking that original incident, and really getting clear on how that's affecting the beliefs, emotions, stories, and behaviors that are cycling off of that incident. And I think the point that you just brought up is really important to note in the fact that this is a process and a process that takes work. Speaking from my own experience, I'm certainly guilty of reading a new book and then letting it fall by the wayside of not really like implementing any of the insights from the book. Sometimes it's often difficult to transition knowledge into actual experience or wisdom. And I think the whole ethos of the book and why it was so powerful, it's making us go through the process. It's not just reading, but also writing, also integrating and practicing those lessons. So with that being said, I would really love to encourage people to think through and journal about what their biggest takeaway of this episode was. So maybe you're having trouble jumping into prompts that we shared initially, because it's sometimes difficult just to dive headfirst into big questions like that. But really, I feel starting with your biggest takeaway from this episode and how you can implement that takeaway into your own life might be a great place to start in terms of thinking through some of these lessons or even journaling about them to try and really take some lessons away in the experience sense and not just the mental sense. The work, such as working on our inner child or working on ourselves, is called shadow work, not entertainment work, because it's hard visiting the shadows. It's hard confronting our shadows, the parts of darkness that we haven't addressed in a long time. And it's not supposed to be fun. But I think with enough determinations, with enough intention, and with the facilitations or the guidance of this book, Claim Your Power, or once again, any other modalities, we do truly believe reflecting upon our own experiences, how much we have taken away from doing this work, and we have no doubt you would be able to translate this lessons, these integrations of the work that Aiden alluded to into our own lives. And ultimately, whatever your power is, identify it through the work, and we hope, we sincerely hope and we trust that you will be able to claim your power in your own respective lives. So with that being said, we tried our best not to display too much of the inner journeys that we've done through this work because we do want to make sure that the space is not an additional or extended space for us to just to display our dirty laundries or to create a selfishly centered integration space for us so we didn't share too much about it but we tried our best to integrate each takeaways with our own specific example that we did throughout this work to give you a glimpse into what this work feels like but it is a process and of course, the process of working ourselves extends and transcends beyond the 40-day mark. It's a lifelong process. But we do truly, truly believe and subscribe to the idea that there is a place to start. And this would be the perfect place for many of y'all to start if you'll feel called to and if you'll feel ready and inspired after this episode. Uh, with that being said, as always, if you have made it to this far, we truly appreciate you hopping on this week's journey of discovering more with us. And as always, we will include the book and any other resources they might be serving to you throughout this journey. And as always, we hope to see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.